Early in the morning this past Friday, Netflix, the streaming video service, released the much-anticipated season three of its hit show, House of Cards. Now, this is a show that has made TV history, whatever that means, but it is the first show released by a streaming network, not by one of the ABCs, NBCs, HBOs, one of the major networks, but by this internet streaming service, the first show that has won awards and has had broad appeal, and it is wildly popular. The House of Cards tells the story of Frank Underwood, the Democratic congressman from the state of Georgia, played by Kevin Spacey. Underwood rises through the political ranks using every means necessary. Every means. Underwood will blackmail, threaten, maim, and even murder anything and everything needed. Every action he takes carefully calculated to take him further up the ladder of political power. And do not, do not get in Frank Underwood's way. Because he will, quite literally, push you out of the way. Now I can hear his laugh this morning as he heard Don read the scripture. The words from Jesus calling his disciples to deny themselves Take up their cross and follow me. (laughs) Denying oneself, that is not the Frank Underwood way. And it will get you nowhere but the bottom in the cutthroat game of political power. Now, to be honest, Frank Underwood is perhaps the most vile, inhumane, vain, empty political characters ever portrayed in American film. And I'm a huge fan. Now... I'm not proud of this, but it is Lent, so let that be my Lenten confession this morning. I will make atonement this afternoon by binge-watching season three of House of Cards, perhaps needing to confess again next week. I read this week a Wall Street Journal column that looked at House of Cards and other popular political shows like Scandal, Homeland, Veep, Alpha House, all these shows are top shows right now all about American politics. And the the article asks the question, what do these shows tell us about our politics? Each show is filled with despicable, egomaniacal characters, each one worse than the other, all buffoons, all crass. (coughs) Gone are the days of idealistic shows. Even West Wing had a tin of idealism not that long ago. But all these shows now, they are so vain. What does it say of us, the article asks, when all we can imagine is these types of people as our political leaders? Why are we drawn to the despicable Machiavellian characters like Frank Underwood? One would hope, the author says, that our real-life politics are not so cynical and jaded. One would hope. Now, it's probably good for us this morning to dig way back into the depths of human history and read this old story of old father Abraham and mother Sarah. For it might take that much digging to find someone in human history worth emulating. Now, Abram and Sarai, as they're called when we first meet them, they are not the most perfect people around. They are, in fact, a power couple. Frank Underwood would probably be impressed with them. They have achieved great wealth and power in their ancient world. 
Everyone knows them. They are perhaps the wealthiest of ancient people. And then God shows up to Abraham and changes it all. Now, our text today falls in the middle of their story. But go back to chapter 12 of Genesis, where we first meet Abram. There, God shows up and tells him, go from your country, go from your kindred, your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. This is God's offer for Abraham and Sarah, and they take God up on it. Now, they had not yet heard Jesus' call to deny themselves and follow after him. But that is what they do. That's their life. Their life gives us a picture of what it looks like to be a disciple, leaving behind what we had known, all that we have in life, and following God into the unknown. Now, their journey is not an easy one. Their lives are threatened several times along the way. They give up. They lie a time or two, they plot, they commit crimes, they are far from perfect. There's deceit and conniving for sure. They are promised by God that they will have a child, and this child will bring on a new nation, yet year after year goes by and they are still barren. Eventually, Abram takes matters into his own hands, impregnates Sarah's maidservant Hagar, and he has a son named Ishmael. But this is not the child that was promised. They keep waiting. Eventually, Sarai does become pregnant and has their son, Isaac. Now, it's no house of cards or scandal, but it's it's pretty good drama. I'm sure they became wearisome on this long journey. And that's why we have the story we have this morning. Right in the middle of their tale, God checks in on them, sees how they are doing, reminds them of all that God has promised. As a sign of their promise, God will change their name. Abram becomes Abraham. Sarai becomes Sarah. They are new people. This is not the life they had set out. This is not what they had planned. Maybe they had hoped to be great, but not in this way. They are not the people they had hoped they would become. Following God has changed them as they deny themselves and journey into God's call on their life to be a blessing to the world. Now, thousands of years later, Jesus calls his disciples together. They've been following for some time now, and yet he gathers them right in the middle of their journey and says, hey, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Now, I must admit, when I hear Jesus say, deny yourself, I think of all the many things I need to give up. These are appropriate words for this time of year, the season of Lent, where we look at our hearts and our waistlines and know that we need to lose a few things. Deny yourself calories, we hear Jesus say. Deny yourself pleasure. Deny yourself excess. Deny yourself hours upon hours of binge-watching house of cards. Deny yourself and follow me. That's what I hear. When I hear Jesus say, deny yourself, and frankly, it doesn't sound like a lot of fun, does it? It also, well, it also doesn't sound a lot like Jesus. I mean, isn't this the same guy who says that I have come that you may have abundant life? He is the one that was called a drunkard and a glutton, not because he's always denying himself, but because he's always indulging himself. 
Everywhere you look in the Gospels, Jesus is at a party. He's sitting at a table with people eating. So what does Jesus mean when he calls us to deny him, deny ourselves? What is he asking of us? One of the commentaries I read uh, this week, an article by Caroline Lewis, says this about our ancient heroes, Abraham and Sarah. She says that they do deny themselves, just as Jesus asked. But it's not a denial of the self. It's a denial of remaining by themselves. That is, they deny a life that is autonomous, secure, enclosed, safe, and just the two of them. For a life that propels them into relationship, relationship with God and with a future realized by abounding relationship. I wonder, she asked, I wonder if this is exactly what Jesus means. Denying a life that is autonomous, a life that is secure, a life that is enclosed and safe, just us, as we embrace a life with God, a life with others. I like that. Or maybe, to put it more simply, denying me and embracing us. Now, this is certainly not the way of our world. If the article I read last week from the Wall Street Journal is right, our favorite TV shows are just an indicator of how jaded and cynical we really are. They're a reflection of a broader problem in our culture. Everything about our life, it seems, is so insular and self-seeking. You don't need to watch drama and made-up stories to see the stories on the news. It's all about preserving me, no matter the cost to the other. We fear the other be they a Muslim or gay or an immigrant or someone on the other side of the political aisle, if they were in charge, man, they would destroy our country. Lock your doors. Lock your hearts. Don't let them in. Fear what might happen if you get too close. You can't be too careful. All they want to do is blow you up, give you a disease, take your possessions, destroy your country. Save your life. Save it by protecting yourself. This is what our culture calls us to. Yet here in the midst of it all, in this season of Lent, Jesus is inviting us on a different kind of journey. A journey away from that culture of self-protection. Away from the land of our fathers to a land that God will show us. A new land. A land that Jesus invites us to follow him towards. If you want to be my followers, Jesus says, you don't have to. But if you want to, this is the way. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life, they will lose it. And those who lose their life will find it for my sake, for the sake of the good news of the world. This is Christ's invitation. It is an invitation to a life ruled by love and not by fear. Now, the name of my favorite TV show, House of Cards, it suggests that what Frank Underwood is building is certainly not permanent. It is a house of cards. One misstep and it will all fall down. At least that's how I hope it will happen. As much as I like Underwood, he better not win. He can't win. I'd rather this story of Abraham and Sarah, these heroes of faith who follow God no matter what happens, 
and all God's faithful throughout Scripture and time, even among us today who have left themselves behind and chosen a life of the other instead, following God on this journey together that leaves behind self-reliance and autonomy as we brace us. This is the journey of disciples of Christ. This is God's plan for saving the world, an elderly couple in the ancient world leaving behind their home to become a blessing to all people. Us, called here together to leave behind whatever holds us back and to become church, community here. This is God's plan. This is God saving the world among us. May we deny ourselves whatever would keep us from being ourselves. Our self-reliance, our fear, our obsession with safety and security. And may we follow after Jesus on this dangerous but beautiful journey of giving up ourselves for the sake of the world that God so loves. Amen. Let us now approach this table, the table that calls us together to be one, as we sing number 403, In Remembrance of Me. Thank you.